I'm Steven. I'm Chris. I'm Stargate Pioneer. And I'm the French Canadian Sensation. And we're the official GunnaGeek.com podcast, a podcast member of the GunnaGeek Network. Just like the one you're listening to now. The opinions expressed are those of each individual host. Check out all the other podcasts at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. And get ready. Because geekiness begins in... Three. Two. One. Let's geek! Hello, welcome to Head in the Cloud. I'm your host, John Svazik. This is episode 15 for 2017. In today's episode, I've got a guest uh, today who's here to talk all about AWS security and all sorts of fun anecdotes and uh, just, just general trying to shed some light on why it's not always Amazon's fault. Uh, and with that, welcome, Corey Quinn. Oh, thank you. Pleasure to be here. Oh, thanks, Corey. So, tell us about yourself. Where'd you come from? What do you do? Why do we want to listen to you about AWS security? Great question. At the moment, I run a newsletter that goes out every week called Last Week in AWS, where I gather the entire pile of bits and pieces coming out of Amazon itself, from the ecosystem, from tooling surrounding that, uh, curate the best parts of it that people actually care about and then make fun of it. So I tend to have a pretty good <laughs> finger on the pulse of what's going on in cloudland, for lack of a better term, but still tend to take a somewhat cynical slash sarcastic view of the entire thing. At a high level, that tends to resonate reasonably well with a number of security people in the past. Uh, before that, I have a background in operations, SRE work, uh, InfoSec, and a handful of other arenas that may or may not arise over the course of our conversation <laughs> perfect yeah it's uh for those who who actually subscribe to the aws newsletters and the blog and and even uh follow jeff on twitter you quickly realize how important something like Corey's newsletter uh comes in handy simply because it seems like what is it every two hours amazon comes out with hey we've got this thing over here and hey we've got this thing over here and half of them you're kind of looking at and you you're scratching your head and you're like but 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 why like why <laughs> <laughs> exactly they announced something world-shaking like the release of lambda functions in the same breathless enthusiastic tone as they do another cloudfront edge location in dallas even people in Dallas don't care about that. So it's difficult to understand just from their signaling alone whether something is important or a terrific punchline or both. Yeah, no, that's that's for sure. I can I can definitely understand that. Um, I, th I think I'm going to pick on Amazon just just briefly because um, I've got uh, the Solutions Architect Associate certification. And I remember when I went to... Uh, reinvent last year there was this big push for 
hey, we're coming out with these three new certifications and they're all beta certifications. And, and the one that was kind of the mo most interesting for myself was the, and most of the listeners was the uh, security certification, AWS security. Yeah, we're going to do that. And then what was what? Uh, two months ago or so they they came out and said yeah so we're out of beta and we have two new certifications that we're doing and the one that was missing was the security certification and just, well, well that's not that big of a deal you can always just bolt on security later right <laughs> exactly i mean it, it just comes for free with the cloud doesn't it but it was funny because apparently listening, uh, reading comments on uh, various news sources, some people who actually wrote the beta actually said it was brutal. It was it was insanely brutal. And there was rumor that no one actually passed the bloody test. And that's why they, they kind of canned it is because they realized, oh, crap, we're not very good at this. And uh, I guess security is hard and trying to hold people to a standard of security that that Amazon seems to be worthy. Apparently no one was worthy of that, which is yeah, maybe uh, security isn't one of those things you want to grade on a curve. So I, I at least have a fair bit of respect for them for pulling the cert and realizing that there are challenges there rather than trying to. Put a good face on it well it's an interesting thing because if if they made a, a a test and an exam that was so difficult that no one outside of their organization could pass then you know that kind of leads into into why we why we're having this conversation here which is all these news articles of of amazon and the news and look at all these data leaks that we've got going on and all these you know it's all amazon's fault somebody's it's it's another s3 leak it's 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 bad you know and obviously it's it's amazon's fault which you know i say with a half chuckle but you know what are your thoughts on this Corey? <laughs> knowing full well what your thoughts are on this oh yeah <laughs> wow that might be a loaded question um let me start with a rambling, pointless analogy. I have a small chihuahua uh, due to a series of escalating poor life choices. And when I, she looking... goes into the backyard, periodically, I... she likes to make a mess on the way to the grill. And whenever I'm not really paying attention to where I'm going, I step in it. And this, to some extent, is, rem is reminiscent of what the current S3 story is, because Yes, I should have been paying better attention to where I'm going and watching where I step because there's a landmine there. But on some level, I can't help but hold the Chihuahua at least partially responsible as a causal factor here. And I think that Amazon takes on the role of Chihuahua in this particular analogy. Because if you take a look at historically how S3 bucket permissions were set up, there were a few different groups that were populated by default. You had the owner you had the entire world, and you had authenticated AWS users. An awful lot of companies that are currently in the news saw authenticated users and made the very reasonable assumption that this was going to be the sort of thing that applied to, oh, every user I have in my Amazon account. Yes, everyone at my company should be able to see this. It turns out that that setting applies to everyone on the planet who has an AWS account. And that caught a lot of large organizations by surprise. In the past two weeks, we've had Verizon, uh, the WWE, and Dow Jones all caught by this particular and understandable bug. 
Now, that's not a ridiculous setting for exactly one use case that I can think of, which is a large public data set that you want to make available, but you want to make sure that the requester pays to transfer that multi-petabyte data set into their application because you don't want to be stuck with the bill. And that's terrific, but that's an esoteric enough use case that putting that front and center in the console when you're setting up a new S3 bucket is just asking people who are not familiar with this particular sharp edge to trip over it. To their credit, they've gone a decent way toward fixing this. That group does not appear by default in the new S3 console. So now there's just about, what, 10 years of legacy to go ahead and clean up, and then we're fine. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but it, it, you're absolutely right. I mean, I remember when my current organization, when we first went to uh, to the cloud, and we, we picked Amazon for a reason, because they're a market leader, and, and, and uh, we actually stayed off of S3 uh, for quite some time, just initially, because A, we didn't know what the hell we were doing, and B, we didn't know what the hell we were doing, and we were paranoid enough to know that and decided we're not quite ready to uh, to put data somewhere we don't fully understand how it works. So we, we went with the EBS volume route, which, you know, is, is analogous to stick another hard drive in the machine. Um, and you know, we, we suffered through some pain and as we grew, we, we realized, okay, yeah, now we have to move to S3, but we did the research ahead of time. But the point is there was really no clear understanding upfront when we first set up these S3 buckets that, yeah, the authenticated user meant anyone who has an Amazon account. So yeah, I can, I can see why people are tripping over that. And you're absolutely right. 10 years worth of, of customers using S3, how are they going to know? You know, aside from, I don't know, using a tool like Scout 2, you know, shameless plug for, for Loic Simon, who wrote that tool, to, uh, you know, check your S3 bucket permissions, just in case. But Amazon's kind of done something recently, though, haven't they, when it comes to S3 uh, buckets and letting people know, hey, you might expose something to the world. Absolutely. And... If you have an AWS account with S3 buckets open to the world, you probably got a flurry of emails in the past week from Amazon saying, hey, this bucket is world readable. You should be aware of that. And that's terrific. But there's a use case for using an S3 bucket to statically serve web content. So definitionally in that configuration, you're going to want to have this thing be world readable. So now you have 500 of those and it comes torrenting in and you get this giant piles of, of email. And then buried in the middle of that is the one that you didn't intend for that setting to apply to. Okay, awesome. Did you catch it when it came through? There's still no terrific way of auditing S3 bucket permissions in the console unless you know exactly what to look for. So it, it still becomes a messaging problem, something that any company is going to have struggle with, much less something the sky, the size, scope, and scale of AWS. So, who's to blame? Is it Amazon, or is it the uh, the companies that are making use of these S three buckets? So, like for example, is it is it Verizon's fault? Is it Amazon's fault? Is it WWE's fault? Whose fault is it? Uh, my personal philosophy on this is yes. Uh, you can, there is, there is Amazon's shared responsibility model for security. 
that breaks down who's responsible for what in each case. And that's all well and good. But fundamentally, whether when you're a large company, when you're a Verizon or Dow Jones, you are entrusted with data that is private. And fundamentally, you can outsource the work to contractors, to third-party providers like Amazon, but I don't believe you can outsource the responsibility. I think that fundamentally the buck stops with you. You are the entity that people have trusted with their data. So there's a whole list of reasons as to how the breach happened, why the breach happened, but the responsibility ultimately comes back to you. And I think that trying to pass that off to a third party is a bit disingenuous. Now, I'm going to also defend Amazon in that, uh, sorry, no, I'm done defending Amazon. I'm also going to say they could have made a lot of these settings far more clear than they have. And to their credit, it's improving. But I don't hold them necessarily blameless here, but I do put ultimate responsibility on the on the ultimate, uh, on the company that in the headlines about their latest data breach. Right, and I would agree with you on that uh, wholeheartedly. In fact, I think, I think next May, we're going to start seeing just my my prediction before the end of the year. This is my Christmas in July prediction of uh, in the coming year in 2018. I would say that this type of finger pointing, especially when it comes to, I don't know, let's uh, let's pick a continent. Oh, Europe. Let's pick on Europe. Uh, this type of finger pointing of it's not our fault, you know, it was our it was our hosting provider, it was our our cloud provider, it was Amazon's fault. It's not our fault. You can't blame us. But uh, four little letters uh, lead me to believe that that's going to stop because you know it's not going to matter anymore. And uh, of course, I'm, I'm I'm referring to the the GDPR. Now we're not going to get into the GDPR unless you absolutely want to, because that's a monstrous <laughs> thing that I'm hoping to eventually find some lawyers that can be like, okay, look, you're screwed. Okay, if you're going to have European customers, just just keep them in Europe and don't don't ever venture outside of Europe and for the love of God, lock it down with three feet of concrete and lead plating, right? That's, that's essentially the, the fear that seems to be brewing, uh, at least in, in my circles, uh, with regards to that thing. But I think you're right. I mean, for now, I think it's, it's a matter of convenience for people to be blaming Amazon because, well, yeah, it is convenient, but you're absolutely right. It's a shared responsibility model. Amazon says that right off the bat. You know, they also say a whole ton of other things. Like we said, you know, they seem to have something new that they're releasing every couple of hours. And it's always the new shiny and very, uh, at least in my opinion, it's often this messaging of as a customer of Amazon Web Services. And it's the same with all the other major cloud vendors. It's not just it's not fair to just pick on Amazon. We're going to pick on Amazon because they've been in the news lately. But every cloud provider has this shared responsibility model. You can't expect all security to be done by the cloud provider. I would agree with that. I think that expecting that to, to work it to work that way is just I, I think a fanciful idea that's never going to come to fruition. And we're even starting, at least in the circles that I'm spending uh, my time in, I'm starting to see a lot of knee-jerk reactions to these breaches, where 
I was speaking with someone today who was handed a mandate from their InfoSec group. Given all of the S3 breaches that have happened lately, we want to restrict access to S3 buckets that we control based upon originating IP address. Good <laughs> luck with that. There's no facility to do that in a straightforward shot. You can build some complicated Rube Goldberg contraption, but it isn't going to do what you think it's going to do. So trying to adapt a on-premise data center oriented security model into a public cloud provider is going to take some serious work for a lot of organizations. That isn't even to, to touch on the stuff that we're getting into with containerization, the idea of going towards serverless, of now you have nothing deterministic about most of your environment, but you still need to have a security model that extend, embraces and extends to that. So what does that look like? It's a modernization effort, and I think that organizations are still grappling with the enormity of that. No, absolutely, and yeah, and I mean, you, you touched on the main, the main ones that are are sort of personal bugbears for me: uh, containerization and serverless. Um, I feel that serverless, just personal rant for a minute. Serverless is is the the web services of the early two thousands, and it's just really bugs me for some reason i don't fully know why i love the idea of of uh, lambda functions from a development perspective i think lambda functions make a lot of sense i think the entire concept of functional programming makes a lot of sense going with a serverless model and saying look at the magic that i can perform absolutely as long as you're doing a blog as long as you're doing something relatively simple then yes serverless is great but once you start getting into something beefier and of course then yeah anyway that's a rant for another day but no i'm on board with that i use a series of lambda functions to build my newsletter archive and that's awesome but you talk about uh, hipaa or pci compliance for lambda and Suddenly, it's one of those, uh, excuse me a minute, what are you doing? Can we talk about this? <laughs> there, needs, there needs to be a more, shall we say, sane and measured approach to a lot of the emerging technologies before you start trusting life-critical data to them. And I think that's a lesson that some people, unfortunately, need to learn the hard way. Yeah, and it's it's funny because, you know, I, I make mention of, of web services from the early 2000s, and this industry that we're in um anyone who's been around long enough realizes we go through cycles and i would say it's about every 10 to 15 years we seem to reinvent the wheel again and again and again um serverless feels like again we're, we're essentially taking we've gone let's see we've gone from thin client uh thick backend server to thick clients to web services to no 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 we we're going to have everything in html5 running on the browser so the browser's nice and big and thick and now we're kind of rolling it back into no 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 we're going to put everything back in the server but don't worry about it it's going to be super light and we're going to call it serverless because that's that's just great it's going to work i mean web services before web services what did we have we had uh, Java was really big with RMI, and then we had before that was Corba, and then before that was RPC, and then you know going 
back and it's just like this constant repetition within this this industry and it's almost like we we haven't fully learned a lesson all we've done is basically said yeah i don't like the flavor of the month this time and i'm just gonna go and spin it up and i'm gonna do it this way and in a lot of ways i see even the cloud being along those lines where we're kind of running in direction heads down this is great this is great this is great we don't see the wall in front of us and i think this spat of leaks that we've been having when it comes to s3 is uh in indicative of that in that we have people that are basically putting their heads down running forward saying this everything's great i don't have to worry about a thing security be damned uh i'm in the cloud and then all of a sudden bam oh no it's not our fault it's amazon's fault Exactly. Now, there is some cover from going down that particular approach. Whenever there's a systemic style of breaches like this or outages, not to keep beating on S3, but when they took a the entire U.S. Uh, Eastern Standard Region down earlier this year, the news was about the Amazon outage. It wasn't about Instagram being down. It wasn't about American Express being down. It wasn't about Amazon's own status page being down. It was about, ooh, most of the internet is broken today. And at least from an availability story, you can fade into the background noise with events like that. From a security standpoint, to a lesser extent, some of that applies. There's a reason we're talking about Verizon and Dow Jones and the WWE, and not just one of those companies this week. I think that there's definitely some PR value to that. But it's very limited and it tends to not scale past a certain point. Right. So what can people do? What would, if, if someone came to you, Corey, and they said, look, I want to put all my stuff on S3 and what, what can I do to help kind of lock that down? How can I make sure that I'm not the next Dow Jones? How can I make sure I'm not the next Verizon or WWE? That's a great question. From my perspective on the stuff that I tend to, that I tend to run, I use NCC's uh, Scout 2, which you referenced earlier. There are a number of paid options. I've, for example, ThreatStack tends to address this stuff as well. But systematic scanning of your S3 buckets for improperly set permissions is something that can be done programmatically and is painful to do manually. The challenge is, is that it still feels that, okay, now that we're addressing that particular issue, Great, we've successfully fought the last war. And, oh, by the way, while we're looking, by the way, do you know your root account has API credentials provisioned and that they're being used to spin up things in regions you don't know exist? So now we're on to the next uh, emerging situation. And I don't think you ever get to take a step back with any automated tool and say, whew, glad that's over. <laughs> but it's going to come down to an education argument where people need to understand the use cases and failure modes of the platform they're on. And I think Amazon is recognizing this with their attempt at a security model, at a security certification. Wow, there's an awful lot of stuff here and even experts in this space are struggling with how to articulate it, how to identify it and various edge case concerns. To some extent, Amazon is going to have to take a step back and rethink a lot of this where they change the narrative around security. They make it uh, more or less click button, receive security for so, to some degree of these things. 
Um, relatedly, they're coming out in the near future with a new IAM login page, where instead of having an account-specific login page, now they're going to be rolling out a unified one where you put in which account you're on, your username, and your password. So that does become easier on people's bookmarks, and it does speak to some of the things that they're doing, but that's going to cause tremendous help desk burden when, people's, when people start seeing things that don't make sense, that aren't what they're used to seeing. It's going to effectively make bookmark management easier, but is it solving a real security problem today? I don't know. It's not exactly clear what is happening under the hood that's necessitating that change, but it does show that they're not standing still on this. Yeah, I, I mean, Amazon's ridiculously good at what they do. Um, if they weren't, they wouldn't be an industry leader. Having said that, I think a lot of what they do tends to hide a lot of the magic. And I use magic in air quotes there, mainly because people, you know, they get comfortable with trusting Amazon with doing all these things. And I think that that trust um, is a bit of a trap, to be honest with you, when it comes to the expectation of I don't have to worry about this because I expect Amazon to take care of it. They haven't given me access to the 20,000 other things that I want to make use of, but you know, I don't, I don't have to worry about it because if they, if they didn't give me access to that stuff, that means that they've also taken care of this stuff. And then of course we run into situations like we have now. So there, I don't envy them. No, I certainly don't either. They've made some economies of scale that are fantastic. I am never going to be able to build out a data center environment that approaches the level of physical security that Amazon can offer. I don't have to worry about a team of people driving a truck into the data center, grabbing a bunch of hard drives and driving off into the night with my data anymore. But that doesn't equate or carry over in quite the same way to an information security perspective where you're not approaching the physical argument you're still going to have API vulnerabilities. Your application is still going to be riddled with bugs because apparently that's a, that's a problem that's here to stay with us forever. And you're still going to have to pay attention to the primitive building blocks that you're using to assemble your tooling and those and the weaknesses that are exposed within those building blocks. No, for sure. For sure. So we've been beating up on S3 for quite a bit. <laughs> And it's all well and good. It's it's the uh, flavor du jour, as they say. And but Amazon's got other stuff. Let's you know, as as part of your your weekly newsletter, why don't you take us through? Let's let's shift gears for a minute. Let's let's have sure. some let's have some fun. What is one of the, in your opinion, one of the most ridiculous? Uh, release notes that has come out or announcements that's come out from Amazon, let's say in the last couple of couple of weeks or a couple of months, it doesn't really matter. They've, they've had enough. I'm sure there's enough uh, ammunition there that you just kind of, you read it and you scratch your head and you're like, really? That tends to be to some extent uh, every week. There's stuff that doesn't make the cut for the newsletter because otherwise it turns into a link dump of everything that Amazon has written going back in time 15 years. Um, an example of stuff that tends to be relative – I mean there's a, there's a number of things that come out that are completely inapplicable to almost everyone I know. Uh, here's a classic example. 
they have, let's pretend that there's a service for a second that has a bunch of iPhones and Android devices sitting in a warehouse somewhere. And you can rent time on these things by the hour to go ahead and do application testing. Did I make that up or does it really exist? I took a Twitter poll about six months ago and responses were fairly evenly split. It does exist. It is, it's called Device Farm and it tends to be something that almost no one uses. But Amazon doesn't build things just to let them sit and not get used. So anytime there's a announcement that comes out, that tends to be uh, around that, that product. I can't help but wonder who's using that in any significant sense of scale. Um, another one that I love to talk about is at, as Amazon's Snowmobile. Uh, they have oh, snowballs, <laughs> which are 80 to 100 terabyte storage units. They ship them to you. You fill it with data. You ship it back. They load it into uh, S3 generally, possibly Glacier, and you're great. What Snowmobile does is they do the same thing, only instead of a box, it's a trailer, and it holds 100 petabytes. It sounds like one of those things that's a punchline to a joke, and as best I can tell, they are booked up for a solid year. You cannot get one reserved unless you pull strings or start taking prisoners. That's so a, people are using these things. That's but insane. But for most of us, it doesn't matter. Yeah, that's that's so funny because I remember at, at reInvent, they actually had one of the trailers there just to show off how big the bloody thing was. And I'm like, who in God's name would want one of these? Like, I, got, I could see, okay, Snowball made sense, right? Snowball was... It was it was a little extreme, but I mean, snowmobile. I was like, really, guys? Are you just showing off now? Because this seems insane. But they're seriously booked for a year. Yes, to wow. the best of my understanding, I don't have visibility into their scheduling approach. And for all I know, they're parking them all in a parking lot just to artificially drive up demand. But somehow, I don't think so. No, that that never um, happens story, in the when tech they industry. Announced a new instance family with two terabytes of RAM. There were two reactions from people I spoke to. The first was, that's ridiculous. What kind of terrible, crappy architecture is going to require that level of, of RAM on a single node? Go horizontally, not vertically. It's madness. Madness, I tell you. And then there was the other half of, huh, for some of the stuff we're doing, these instances are going to knock six figures off of our bill every month. Uh -huh. This is awesome. Where do we get more? It, so I think a misunderstanding about Amazon releases is not every product or service is going to map to every use case or every user. Amazon has 91 some odd services. I think the last time I checked, it's been two hours. Who knows? It may have changed. Oh, it's 106. But, now. And almost no one, actually no one knows all of those services to any degree of depth. We all specialize. Some of them are fantastic. Some of them Amazon is desperately hoping we forget about. Simple DB, I'm looking at you. But they all exist <laughs> and they're used for different things by different people. When you take a look at Amazon's dominance in this space, it's very easy to forget without looking that they are in almost every company in the world at this point. And there are use cases that are not public, that people aren't discussing, that many people are shamed to the bone exist, but it works and it makes money, so they're gonna keep on doing it. Yeah, it reminds me of Adobe, but in a way, <laughs> I'm looking at Flash. 
you know, we're 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 ashamed of Flash because of all the harm and everything that that's that it's caused. But we're just gonna keep we're gonna keep going. Granted, I do think uh, I read an article just recently. I think today Adobe announced that by 2020 they were going to kill Flash officially, or at least end of life it, which means another 10 years of Flash. Just based on how Microsoft end of ends of life uh, end of life's things. And uh, they just exactly, which they, means it'll probably die. stop. Being, you'll stop encountering it on the internet right around the time that IE six stops showing up in my web logs. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? Uh, what was it? Was it Heartbleed? I think it was Heartbleed that helped kill IE six for for myself. So uh, no more SSL three So <laughs> de- de- death to IE six. And this does speak to a way that Amazon provides a sense of security that these other companies tend not to. Um, a classic example of this. There used to be an instant store, a storage class uh, for S3 called Reduced Redundancy. They don't talk about it anymore. It's not one of the storage classes they talk about in their S3 documentation, but it still exists. It only has three nines of durability as opposed to, I think, the seven or eight that the standard S3 does. And despite the fact that they don't talk about it, it still exists, but it no longer participates in price cuts, which means that you can use reduced redundancy storage, but you pay more per gigabyte for the crappy storage than the standard good storage that you probably want to use instead. We're seeing the same type of thing with SimpleDB, as an example I brought up earlier, where it still exists and you can use it. You shouldn't but it's not being taken away. You don't get sunset notifications for services that you're using from Amazon. And that's something that very few other providers can say. Yeah, that's true, actually. it's interesting you you raise the point about s3 uh so you're right i mean the reduced redundancy is three nines uh standard is actually 11 nines which is unheard of in this industry um and it's but funny you'll note that doesn't appear in their sla no their sla well they will actually say 11 nines durability but uptime they will say i think it's five nines so that little s3 outage that they had a couple of months ago uh, we actually got a small credit from that and I, of course s3 is relatively inexpensive uh so it didn't really Don't spend that 22 cents all in one place yeah, exactly so but it's interesting that you make mention of the reduced redundancy thing because i actually use reduced redundancy for this particular podcast uh mainly because i only wanted to pay a penny per month as opposed to two pennies per month but uh now as you mention it you know i think i have been paying two pennies per month recently and i thought it was due to uh, increased transfer costs from people actually downloading the podcast wink wink nudge nudge um but <laughs> i think i will go forth and make that change um because obviously this needs to be held on for uh, infinity but you're right in in regards to Amazon kind of keeping things around longer than most people would would uh, would realize. Um, I'll use VPC for an example, right? When I started with Amazon, we we were on what they refer to as EC2 Classic, and they have a very subtle way uh, I find of phasing out technology, or at least 
forcing people to move to move on to kind of the the new golden path as as they want people to to do uh we were running into some strange ec2 in, uh, issues where we just had random machines going down and it was fine we had a lot of redundancy uh so nothing nothing ever happened as as far as our customers were concerned from an infrastructure perspective it was a bit of a pain in the butt reaching out to amazon support they would say oh well you know we have this automatic tool to help recover from this particular situation that you were running into but we see you're on ec2 classic and it doesn't work there you're gonna to have to move over to to uh vpcs and when you do so then you know life will be good for you again oh we have these new instance classes unfortunately not available to the ec2 classic so if you want to make use of them and their increased horsepower and reduced cost we're gonna need you to move over so i think amazon kind of does it right because they offer that carrot as opposed to the stick uh, in that regard, and it would be interesting to see if they do something along the along the same lines with security settings. You know, they they've improved things now with the new UI, but it makes me wonder: will they be going back and looking at the previous ten years, like you mentioned before? with all the customers there and saying well you know aside from the flurry of emails and saying hey you've got a metric ton of stuff that's that's public um maybe they could do something a bit better and offer a bit of a carrot to get uh, to get their customers to kind of revisit and maybe clean up a bit better you're never going to get away from it entirely i saw a blog post come across my desk in the last couple of days that was aimed at getting lambda functions working in ec2 classic I was surprised because the blog post wasn't a single word in giant type saying don't, but rather <laughs> talked about how to go about implementing such a thing. Once you get people to host their applications in a particular environment, you almost never can turn off what they're doing unless you want massive pushback from them. And Amazon entertains this far better than most folks do. but new instance families, new instance types, you're not going to get that in EC2 Classic. So they're, I think they're trying to slowly make it more and more and more uncomfortable for people to not get with the program, for lack of a better term. And I get that, but it does provide increasing amounts of pain for people who are constrained in their options as far as migration goes. Yeah, good point. Good point. Alrighty. Well, we're coming up to, well, according to my clock, about 40 some odd minutes, uh, which is around the time that we usually have for, for episodes of this type. Now, I don't want to cut you off or anything, Corey. Is there anything more you wanted to, to touch base on? or Only that I don't think that this is an Amazon problem, although it's easy to point it at, oh, this is the problem with security in the cloud. There was an article recently about a breach out in Sweden of, I want to say, was it public records? Was it, I'm trying to remember offhand. Oh, I don't yes. pay too much attention to anything that doesn't have an AWS logo on it. But I seem <laughs> to recall that they weren't cloud-based. It was, they were doing their own on-prem environment and wound up in a massive breach scenario. It's less exciting and doesn't get as much play because, oh, we can't take a swipe at a giant publicly traded company that absolutely everyone is using. But it does shine a light on the idea that this is far and away not a problem that is unique or even particularly special in the public cloud context. 
you always have had to understand the tools you're using. You've always had to understand that there are attack scenarios that need to be addressed. And there's always been opportunities to become sloppy that ultimately blow up in your face. Yeah, the Sweden one, That's you raise a really good point. That was, I think, uh, a couple of articles uh, claimed this is the biggest data breach in history, period. Not for a individual organization, not for an individual country, but just this is the biggest thing ever. And it wasn't Amazon related. It was it was uh, an internal uh, sort of uh, IBM was contracted out to help them. IBM wasn't at fault here either. It was actually the government that had screwed this up. They sent out basically if you have a vehicle in Sweden or if you have a driver's license or anything of, of that nature, your data was exposed. This included military uh, people in witness relocation programs. Uh, as well as just the general populace of the entire country was exposed, yet barely a blip on the radar. Because, like you said, there's no fancy uh, who's who's our favorite target this week uh, corporate uh, entity to pin the blame on, and it it received very little uh, fanfare. So it's an interesting one, but you're mm -hmm. right. It's <laughs> wait until next year. Amazon's launching a new region in Stockholm, and then oh, then I'm sure it's going to have all a hundred thousand think pieces that strongly imply there's a correlation there. <laughs> okay. I would bet a large pile of money there isn't, but just watch people start to draw tenuous connections because hey, it generates more clicks. Absolutely. You know, it's good to be king, um, but <laughs> it's at the same time, uh, that target just gets bigger the higher up the mountain you go. So awesome. Well, Corey, thank you so much for coming on uh, for the podcast. No, and, thank you for having me. Oh, absolutely. You know, you're always welcome to come back if there's more stuff. If you find something like, like John, look at this, this thing that just came out. I mean, this is just so goddamn ridiculous on so many levels. Uh, can we talk about it? Absolutely. Just drop me a line. We'll, we'll get you on here. We'll, we'll do a, we'll go, do a good chuckle, um, over that because Amazon's very, I love Amazon to bits. You know, they, they pay the bills as they say. Uh, but at the same time, they're, they're, they're fun to poke at every, every now and again. Um, and yeah, it's good to, to raise awareness. But anyway, if somebody wanted to reach out to you, how would people get a hold of you? Uh, probably the easiest way is to sign up for my newsletter at lastweekinaws.com. And the, uh, my contact information is attached to every email that goes out from that. Hit reply. I read all of my email. I generally try to respond to most of it. But please, by all means, chime in. Tell me what I got wrong. Tell me what I got right. Yell at me. Whatever, whatever makes people happy. I'm here to serve. Oh, there you go. You heard it here, folks. He's here to serve. Uh, I'll make sure that we have a link to your newsletter in the uh, show notes as well. So people that are looking for it, you can just you know take a look at the description for this uh, episode and you will find a link there. And as for myself, people can find me on Twitter. I'm at John's Not Here. I'm on Peerlist. I'm on LinkedIn. Just search for my name on either one of those and you'll be able to find me. The podcast is hosted on 
uh, let's see, I'm on iTunes, we're on Google Play, we've got an RSS feed, we're on Stitcher. Uh, we're going to continue to stay off of SoundCloud for now uh, until we see A, a demand, and B, a future for SoundCloud. Um, you know, much respect to those guys, but at the same time, you know, it's just business. Uh, if you guys want to reach out for on the social medias, we have a Facebook fan page, uh, facebook.com slash myheadinthecloud. The website is myheadinthe.cloud, because we love the .cloud domain. There is a Slack channel for the podcast as well. Uh, unfortunately, the super simple signup.team link bot for Slack is no longer uh, accepting new installations. So if you want a signup link for the Slack channel for Head in the Cloud, you will have to go to the website and there is a link there for the, uh, for the channel. We have a grand total of six people on the Slack channel, uh, most of which don't come back, which <laughs> I don't know how that makes me feel. But uh, by all means, if, if people want to drop on by, uh, offer you know suggestions, comments, uh, rude remarks, death threats, uh, the usual, by all means, stop by the Slack channel. I'm always on there as well. Uh, some would say I stock my own Slack channel uh, or Slack community, I should say. And uh, I don't really care because quite frankly, it's fun. So stop on by. Um, and yeah, just drop a drop a line and say, Hey, cool. See ya. And we'll, we'll go from there. At least we'll have some sort of traffic and hopefully we'll grow that community uh, as days go on. And with that, Corey, thank you once again for coming on to the episode, uh, onto the podcast, I mean, for this episode. And as always, you know, you're always welcome to come back. Well, thank you. Uh, don't offer if you're not serious. Oh, I'm deadly serious. Uh, <laughs> I've got a, a long list of people that I'm trying to get on and uh, have a few people I'd like to bring back. So you're definitely on that list for coming back. And like I said, you're definitely welcome uh, for sure. Thank you very much. No problem. All right. Uh, and with that, as for the rest of you, uh, stay safe and have a great week.